as we come to uh, our passage today. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We pray for um, our congregation and the needs, uh, at least some of them that are among us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good work you're doing among us here at Christ Redeemer Church. We thank you for uh, the ways that you have shown your favor and goodness to us. God, may we continue to be a church that is uh, faithful to your mission, that enjoys you, that uh, grows and develops relationships and community, and yet um, it doesn't stay within our walls, but it expands in mission into uh, our city, into our neighborhoods, into those that you have us around. We, we pray for other churches this morning, um, seeing Jim and Becky Briars, we pray for Grace Community, reminded of their great faithfulness and their role in this church being planted. We pray for your blessing upon that congregation. We pray for the other churches around us of three circles, uh, Covenant Presbyterian, um, Dolphin Way Baptist, Dolphin Way Methodist, uh, Christ Anglican, Lord uh, Mars Hill, there are others, Harbor, um, Harbor City Church. We think about uh, Mount Hebron. We know, God, that's just a few. There are many others. We pray that as churches are gathering this morning, that there would be a clear proclamation of the truth of who you are, of the gospel message, that there would be a, a, a lifting up of the name of Jesus as the great Savior for sinners. We pray for the faithfulness in our community, in our city, for the word of God and the gospel to be proclaimed. God, we're reminded of needs in our own congregation. We pray for Buddy Hargrove, who fell last night and broke his arm. We pray for him as he recovers from his stroke and now recovers, will have to recover from uh, dealing with his broken arm. We pray for him. We pray for Susie as she cares for him. We pray for Tony Holiday as he has finished his uh, fourth bout of chemo. We pray for his recovery, for strength of his body. We pray for Diane as she cares for him. We pray for Cindy Foltz as she um, continues to recover and deal with a, a, an eye issue. We thank you for Cindy Sylvester and her recovery from surgery. And uh, thank you for those physicians that had cared for her so well. Could you pray for my wife Katie as she deals with uh, pleurisy and the issues she's encountered over the last month. We ask you to be with her to heal her body. God, we pray for Dick Kaiser as he uh, recovers, uh, rehabs uh, his shoulder, be with him. God, those are just some of the physical needs. We know that um, we have deep and abiding spiritual needs, emotional needs. Um, we have financial needs, um, God, mental. God, we have so many. We are a needy people. And that brings us to uh, this point where we keep coming back every week to worship and to come to this table, but we, we come with expectation that uh, in our desperation, you will speak to us. That as the psalmist said, out of the depths, oh Lord, we cry out to you. And so maybe we don't feel desperate today, but I pray that we would be attuned to the deeper needs of our own soul, even beyond our physical ailments, to know the needs of our own heart and soul, and that we would cry out, and that we would expect, and we would wait to see what you do. 
Oh God, we ask you to show up today and this time. As you are here among us, would you minister to us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you rise as we hear uh, God's word? We long read from Matthew, um, referencing this, but we're going to rehear Jonah. The last verse in chapter 1. And then all of chapter 2 to 10 verses there. Listen to the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood Surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters enclosed over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was wasting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, will, I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. This is God's word. You may be seated. Um, what do we learn here? In the, 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 the chapter 2 is bookend with two things that God has done. God uh, brings the storm, verse 17, um, and then, uh, or excuse me, God has brought the storm beginning of chapter 1. Then at the end of chapter 1, God brings the great fish, verse 17, we read that, and at the very end of our passage, the fish, God spoke to the fish, that's interesting, and the fish vomits. Jonah on the dry land. Um, every passage of scripture speaks something of, of who God is, the nature of God, the character of God, and the character and nature of man. All of scripture is sort of telling that story. Um, but this particularly shows that. It shows God's character. It also shows the character of man. So as we look at it, I want you to see those things uh, in a couple of, uh, a couple of ways the character of God, the nature. And first of all, I want you to see the desperation of the prayer. The desperation of the prayer. Remember, uh, uh, Jonah's at sea. He's asleep in the in the the the, 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 uh, in the, in the uh, boat, and the sailors are are nervous. The sea's there. Jonah has fled, and they're saying, "Wake up!" And and finally, he says, "The only option is to throw me overboard." And they they keep rowing, and they think, "We'll, we'll get out of this." And of course, the sea gets. Worse and worse, and so finally they throw Jonah into the water, uh, and the water is calm. Um, and then in 2 verse 1, Jonah does something that he hasn't done yet. Jonah does something that he would not do on the ship. Jonah prays. Right, Jonah prays. Something about hitting the water and beginning to descend into the bottom of the ocean aroused Jonah apathetic and resistant, rebellious heart. In fact, multiple times it says the sailors had called out to the Lord 
And Jonah refused to cry out to the Lord. But here it uses the word prayed. And Jonah prayed to the Lord. He prayed. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Do you hear the desperation? Jonah was the the prodigal prophet running from God, refusing to pray, refusing to act, refusing to do what God says. Boom, he starts sinking to the depth, and Jonah prays. And Jonah prays. If you know anything about, um, so it's interesting that chapter one is narrative, you know, it's like, it's prose, and chapter three and four, some more narrative, but chapter two is, a, is Hebrew poetry, which poetry, like the Psalms, expresses the emotion, it expresses the heart, it expresses the, the feelings, what he's going through. And the first verse of, of Hebrew poetry all, often summarizes it, and then the rest of the poem describes it. So he says here, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. That's what Jonah did, and the Lord answered. He repeats it. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried out, and he answers, you heard my voice. That's what happened. Jonah's falling to the depth. It's over. He's despairing. He cries out. The Lord rescues. And then the rest of the poem is him describing, giving detail to what happened. What was his experience what he lived with, what he dealt with, and what it was like to descend, what it was like to have the weeds wrapped around his head, to be in the pit, and then the Lord to rescue him. Notice what's important here, I think, is that it's God's discipline that brings prayer. We talked about this a little bit last week. It was pain that brought prayer. It was pain. Out of my distress, I called out. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The flood surrounded me. He says in verse 4, I am driven from your sight. Think about this language. Remember chapter 1? What did Jonah say? It was said not once, not twice, not but three times. Jonah said what? I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I want to get out. I, I know I can't really get away. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Remember he said that? But I'm instead of going to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go as far as I can to Tarshish, out of the presence of the Lord. I'm going to go from the presence of the Lord. He told the sailors he's going from the presence of the Lord. And now here, he's falling in the bottom. And he says, I'm out of your sight. <laughs> I'm out of the presence of the Lord. Oh, no. In desperation, we pray, right? He, he's like a, you know, and maybe you've been this, had this experience, you have a toddler in the store, and he throws a temper tantrum, and he's on the ground, and he's flailing, and, and, and you're, you know, you can't manage him, and so you just kind of turn the corner to the next aisle. You're still listening, and everyone in the store is listening, but you're just out of sight, and all of a sudden, he perks up and runs and grabs you, right, because you're safe. That's kind of Jonah. <laughs> I want to get away from you. I want to get away from you. I want to get away. Oh, my gosh, I'm away from you. And he cries out to the Lord in desperation. And the Lord hears him. How fickle are our hearts. How fickle. It's important because, uh, the reason I bring this up, because we hate pain. Right? We, we, we are 
comfort seekers. We hate discomfort. We have whole industries created to make life as easy and painless and luxurious as possible. We cushion everything. We make it okay. We don't want our kids to do with anything that's difficult and hard. And yet here, Jonah, a word to Jonah, disobeyed. The storm, the sea, pray Jonah, he won't do it. It took the depths, it took spiraling literally to the bottom of the ocean for Jonah to pray. One of my mentors would say that often, that no one comes to God without pain. It's sad, but it's often true. But what is it we're made for? We're made for communion and connection with God. Therefore, let's not despise our pain. Uh, it doesn't mean pain's fun. It doesn't mean suffering or trials are good or we love them or we enjoy them. We were meant to walk with God in the coolness of the day. But now we walk with God in the goodness and the brokenness of life meant for communion with him. And as Lewis says, pain is the megaphone to rouse us, right? Of a thousand good things, and we often forget to praise or have gratitude. But as soon as we feel pain, we're awakened spiritually. We're awakened. We pray. You know, in, in recovery groups, you say, what? You, you have to hit rock bottom, right? Well, he, he, same pattern. He won't get out of the cycle. He has, he's going to have to hit the lowest of lows. That's what Jonah says. You brought me from the pit. He was literally at the bottom of the earth, at the pit. But we don't waste our trials. And this means for us that help, as we're helping other people through suffering, um, don't be so quick to move them out of their pain. That seems counterintuitive, right? We, we want to alleviate pain. pain. We want to make things better. We do. But we want more than pain to be alleviated. We want connection with God. And so as we move through pain, as we navigate it, we don't waste our pain. Maybe we need to sit in it in a minute. That it arouses the apathetic hard heart to turn again in desperation. Jonah was desperate before. He was the hardened hearted prodigal prophet. And now he gets it. <laughs> pain. Praise. Um, what is this application? It, it should mean we pray all the time. We should pray in good times. And that's why we want to develop communion with God, relationship with God, uh, time with God, uh, times of devotion. Because it, then when we have difficulty and trials, which we all do, we, we go to the familiar place. We go to the one that we commune with, the Lord. It's a safety because we know him and we're grounded. So hard things come and it doesn't make it less hard in one sense. But in another sense, it gives us comfort that we go to him because we're used to that. He's our God. He's the one we're made for. But also, it shows us that even though Jonah will not pray, when he finally does in desperation, the Lord doesn't say, come on, Jonah, where you been, man? It took the water, it took the sea. The Lord hears his desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. Second thing I want you to see is this passage shows God's covenant.
faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness. This is the basis for God answering the prayer, the desperate prayer of Jonah. It's not like, well, Jonah finally got it as he's fallen in the, in the sea, but it's God's covenant f- commitment. Jonah confesses in his desperation. There's a lot of I language. There's a lot of language of what Jonah does. He says, I looked upon the Lord when I was fainting away. I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you. In verse 9 he says, I will sacrifice to you with thanksgiving. Um, And it's true. Jonah called out to the Lord. Jonah hit the water. He descended. He descended. He descended. And Jonah began to pray the desperate prayers and call out. But that's not the amazing part, is it? That's not the amazing part of the story. Um, it's kind of like if you're in the middle of the ocean and you're on a raft and you're, you're going down and a, a helicopter flies by and notices you and comes down and saves you. The amazing part's not when the helicopter was coming, you started waving, right? I mean, you waved, but the amazing part was that he saw you, they cared for you, and then they sent rescue and help, right? And, and say, that's the story. And that's the amazing part of Jonah. Despite Jonah, despite what he's done, the Lord heard his prayer and came to him. Uh, Everyone prays in desperation, right? The sailors, the pagans on board, they prayed when Jonah wouldn't pray. They're the case study of what to do. Jonah wouldn't do it. After 9-11, you remember after 9-11? Some of you want to, I'm learning some of you were not born during 9-11. Talk to one of our younger people, like, yeah, yeah, I read about that. I'm like, ah. That's just skit. And then, like, that's how, like, parents, grandparents felt about, like, you know, wars in the past. Like, yeah, yeah, I read about that. 9-11, that, that blows my mind. So just sit with that for a minute. But um, non-religious people, the most secular people, right, atheists, everyone in New York's praying to who? Like, might as well give it a shot. Like, just throw it up. Maybe something will happen. Because why? They were so desperate. But the beauty here is that Jonah was rescued by the great fish, by the Lord. God saves him. God is the hero. God is the one that's gracious. God is the one that's merciful. God is the one that's kind. We say that every week, but we say it not just because we're making it up. It's because that's what the Bible's about. On every page, it's revealing the story of God's redemptive work for his people. And that's important. For everyone, you know the sailors on board, they were rescued when the sea was calmed. They were rescued. But then we don't know what happened to the sailors. Were they shipwrecked after that? Did they get where they were going? We, We don't know. But we know what happens to Jonah because Jonah is God's chosen prophet. God is particularly committed to his people. To his people. He rescues Jonah in despair because of his faithfulness. His God's covenant faithfulness is the the, the thing that gives us, the, the motivation that gives us assurance or confidence. When you say, am I too far gone? Can God forgive this? Is my life ruined? He's like, he's faithful. That's what he says in verse 8. He uses that phrase. His steadfast love or his, his hesed, his pledged allegiance. As a part of the body of Christ, as a part of being a Christian, 
you realize God has pledged himself like in a marriage, I am yours and you are mine. And so we, we don't know what happens with the sailors. It says they vowed vows and they made sacrifices. Ironically, the same thing Jonah does. Vows, vows. And they, but the focus is on Jonah because he's God's chosen person for the mission. He's God's prophet. God has bound himself. Verse 6, the climax. This is the center of the whole prayer. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Do you hear it? Like I went to the depth, to the place where they're closed forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. The covenant God, Yahweh, saves. Desperation, he cries out. Jonah ends his confession with this beautiful phrase. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You are the God that saves. You are the author, the, the sovereign one. Despite rebellion, despite his running, despite his hard-heartedness, you use the desperation, the brokenness. You arouse me to remember that you are the faithful God. Some of us need to know that, don't we? We think uh, God's like us. <laughs> He's like, I've had enough, you know. We give up. We'll see that more in the next point. But so far, do you see the contrast between the fickleness of Jonah and the faithfulness of God? There's a contrast. The final thing I want you to see, desperation of prayer, the covenant faithfulness of God. Finally, I want you to see the patience of God. And um, this goes along kind of what I was saying, but as you just read it, if maybe this is the first time you've read chapter 2, or if you've read it, maybe the, if you can remember the first time, what was your impression of this prayer? When you just read through it, a cursory reading, um, what do you think? You know, I, I tried to think, I've read it before, but as I was reading through it again, first thing I do, just, just read the passage, read it a couple times. Um, try not to bring any study into it or any technical stuff, just read it. When you read it, there's a sense that, that Jonah is, is, is on the right track, you know? You sense that? Like he's, he's saying, salvation belongs to the Lord, he's calling out, the Lord saved me. And yet, it, does it feel like there's something missing a little bit? Did you get that sense? One commentator says this, Jonah sees that his fleeing was foolish, but there is no sign yet that, that he is truly penitent. Did you pick up on that? Did you hear anywhere where he says, I confess my sins, I repented of my folly? Did you? He doesn't say that. Jonah names things that are true about the Lord. He's sovereign. He's the over salvation. He's, uh, he names his own distress, his brokenness. Uh, but he comes up a little bit short of repentance. It's kind of like when someone has offended you and there's a, a reconciliation and they, they apologize to you, but... They didn't really apologize for the thing that was really hurtful. They apologized for some other things. You know what I mean? And so it was like, it was like close. It was like in the right direction. And you're like thankful for it. But it's like, it really wasn't it. But thank you. You know, it's hard to be upset because it's an apology. And, and they're in the, the right vein. But it doesn't quite get to the depth. Do you, do you sense that? That's kind, of the, that's kind of the sense as I was reading it. It's like, okay. And then it was, it's helpful when commentators sort of validate that. He didn't quite... Get there. 
Jonah, in the passage, he lauded his own efforts. He lauded his own prayers. I remember the Lord. In verse 9, he says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Well, you should. You ran away, right? You wouldn't pray. You're at the bottom of the ocean, and he rescues your hardened heart. I will sacrifice with praises of thanksgiving. It, it, it reads a little bit prideful, and it is. Contrast David. Remember David, uh, the great king uh, of Israel, he's, he's committed adultery with Bathsheba, he's, he's lied, he put Uriah at the front so that he dies, he's a murderer, uh, and then finally Psalm 51, this great prayer of repentance, and he says this in verse 16, think about this in light of Jonah, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, you will not be pleased with burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do you see the difference? That, that's what it was. That, that's what's missing. The heart's not quite contrite. He's thankful he's rescued, but he's not quite there. Jonah says, look at my sacrifice. It feels still a bit entitled. It feels a little bit like the older brother in the prodigal, right? He says, you know, I ran away, so you disciplined me, and then I prayed. I did the right thing. I prayed, and you saved me, so now I'm going to do the right thing and sacrifice, right? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the right direction, Jonah, but you're just not quite. Even verse 8, Jonah begins to play the role of the prophet again. He, he tells those who pay regard to vain idols that they forfeit their hope of steadfast love. Did you read it? It feels a little out of place. He's talking about his distress, and then he turns to talk about those who have turned to idols. He's either talking to Israel and their idolatry, or he's talking to the sailors, perhaps, who were doing the thing that Jonah wouldn't do. God didn't tell him to prophesy. He's about to send him to Nineveh again to prophesy to see if he'll do the right thing. But Jonah should be repenting. He should be calling out for mercy. He sort of is, but not really. It seems presumptuous to call out idol worshipers when Jonah has been running from the Lord. One author, author says this, Jonah's favorable, favorable comparison of himself to idolaters is reminiscent of the Pharisee's prayer in Jesus' parable. Do you remember that prayer? There were two people that prayed. One was the, the Pharisee and one was the tax collector. And the Pharisee prayed, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men, that I'm not an extortioner, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not unjust, I, I fast twice a week, I give tithe. Thanks that I'm not like this tax collector. And the tax collector does what? Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? That, that should be where Jonah is. It's not time for finger pointing, Jonah. This should be, I have mercy on me, O oh God, a sinner. And even the final phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord. It, it's so beautiful, and it's so right, and it's so true. But we know the rest of the story, chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so it taints our understanding, because Jonah's heart really doesn't believe what he just said. Because God wants to give salvation to Nineveh, and Jonah wants none of it, right? But salvation belongs to the Lord means God is sovereign over all the earth. He saves whom he saves. He brings salvation to the, the most godless. 
And Jonah proclaims it, and then Jonah resists it. There's still the pride of the prophet. Why I say all that, all that's true, and yet God's still with Jonah. God's patient. Jonah's not there yet. Even after the miraculous miracle of rescue from the depths of the sea, and yet God's still with him. What what would you have done with Jonah? Probably wouldn't have saved him in the first place, but if we had, we'd be like, dude, you still don't get it? God is long-suffering. He's patient. Um, We want change like that, and God's okay with incremental change. Two steps forward, one step back, you know. Sometimes two steps forward and like one, I don't know what's a fraction, one and three-fourths step back. (laughs) It's little, it's barely changed, but God is so patient. His kindness, his compassion. This whole book is about the scandalous mercy and grace of God to Jonah, to the sailors, to the Ninevites. He's just patient and gracious and kind. So much so, he's not going to let Jonah just hop back in. He vomits Jonah through the fish on the sea. He vomits him. Now, uh, in the Old Testament, vomit is, uh, is a negative thing. I guess, I should, in the Old Testament, Vomit's negative to all of us, right? <laughs> okay, we can all identify. Um, but in the Old Testament, it is a picture of shame. It's humiliation. Uh, example, Jeremiah 48. It says, make her drunk, for she has defied the Lord. Let Moab wallow in her vomit. Let her be an object of ridicule. It's always this image of humiliation. And so, do you, do you see the picture here? prophet is about to be reinstated. He's going to give it another chance to go to Nineveh because of the compassionate God. But he's got to get there as he lays on the seashore covered in the fish's vomit. You see the imagery? Like it's hard to hold your head up high when you're covered in that. Right? He's just God's so patient. Am I making some noises? I hear them. Is that me? I'll be still. Thanks. Do you hear that? The patience of God. All of us wrestle with wanting to be significant. We want to matter. We want to stand out. We want to be the top. We want to be recognized. We want to have influence. We want to, and Jonah, even though he's the lowest of the low, wants to hold himself up above the idolaters, above the other people. But the way of the kingdom of God is the place of lowliness. God says, Jonah, I'm going to free you. I'm going to rescue you. And Jonah has got to be grateful and thankful because he's not in the depth of the sea anymore. He's not in the belly. He's rescued, but he does it covered in slime and vomit (laughs) and humility. That's where the kingdom of God is. He's committed to showing us that. Reminded of 1 Corinthians where God says, but God shows what is foolish in the world To shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. 
That's where he wants us, low, despised to the world, even things that are not to bring nothing, uh, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. His lowliness is supposed to strip away pride. Jonah still hasn't got it. He still sees himself above the Ninevites, above the sailors, above the pagans, and God's committed to him and loves him where he is, as slow a process it is, and he's committed to growing and changing and sanctifying him as he is you and me. And that should be great encouragement because we're stubborn people, and we're resistant, and yet God is patient. Do you see the contrast between Jonah and God? Do you see the gap? We're meant to see the gap. The story is meant to, uh, to, to bring apart who he is and who we are. What about the gap? The final thing to see is that um, we talked about it last week. In the story of Jonah, how it parallels Jesus in the boat with the disciples. But the, the Gospels show us multiple ways that this story is paralleled in the Gospels. Uh, Jonah foreshadows the work of Christ for us. You long read, it wasn't on the board, but you long read the passage from the Gospels. And it pulls on this verse 17, that three days and three nights Jonah was in the belly of the whale the, the Pharisees had come to Jesus and said, we need a sign. Show us that you're the Messiah. Demonstrate it. Jesus had done so many signs. And Jesus says, I'm not going to play the game for you, but there is one sign. There is the sign of Jonah. That as he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. And so there should be a, an implication. Well, what happened to Jonah? Did he stay in the belly? What happened after the three days and three nights? He was resurrected. And throughout history and throughout uh, Jewish literature, Jonah is a picture, uh, a foreshadowing of resurrection life. All of the language here. Belly of Sheol, the depth, the heart of the sea, waves and billows over me, wrapped weeds around my head, down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. All of that is supposed to be a picture of death. So that Jonah is resurrected, now the son of man in the belly of the earth. What's the hope? What's the implication? That he will be resurrected as well. It's the image of the grave. Except there's a difference, right? What's the difference? Jonah describes his emotion. He describes his, his descent. He describes the depths of the sea. But he cries out in distress, and the Lord heard me. He called out in the belly of Sheol, and I was answered. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane the night he would be betrayed, and he would, he would pray to the one he was obedient to, his father, and he would cry out, may this cup pass from me in his distress, in his anguish. Tears of blood, he would call out, and there was no fish. There was no rescue. He wouldn't just 
feel like he was dying, he would face the pain, the suffering, the shame, the humiliation of the death on the cross, in his body, in his communion with the Father. God sends the whale to reestablish communion with Jonah because Jonah had broken it. But in Christ, God had perfect communion with the Father and willingly separated for us. Do you see it? It was a sign of Jonah. Do you remember what happened to Jonah? He was, he was rescued. I will face the full wrath of the sea, of death, of despair. But then there's resurrection, and there's hope, and there's life. Jesus fills the gap. We're not supposed to minimize it, like we're not that bad, he's not that great. We're supposed to explode the contrast between who he is and who we are and go, oh no, what are we going to do? And out of the depths of despair, we cry out for mercy and he meets us in the gap with the one that would take the full and final wrath. Not just feel it emotionally, but feel it fully, embrace it in his body and die for us, experience the pains of hell for us, that we would be reunited in fellowship with God and have what Jonah forsook, and that is communion with God. Um, we're always desperate. You feel like we have, maybe you have money in the bank to go eat lunch today. That is a provision from the Lord. Everything we own, every heartbeat, every breath is His. He is the sovereign Lord. Salvation belongs to him. We are so much needier than we know. Jonah experiences it in his despair. And you will in your own life in your despair. But my encouragement now is to call out to the Lord. Be aroused to the spiritual state. Apart from those desperate moments. Call out. Find the mercy and the grace. See the compassionate one. See that you're with God, not because you're doing all that great, but because he is a covenant-keeping, faithful God who has bound himself. And you try to run away, and he will not let you go. And that should bring great humility, and it should bring great joy. Let's pray. Father, we, we don't know physically what it's like to be in the belly of the whale. Some of us know uh, experientially or metaphorically what it's like to be the lowest of low. But God, all of us are, are dead in our trespassing sin. Uh, we are morally bankrupt and, and, and have nothing. And yet we still hold our head high sometimes and we act like we have arrived or we we're better than the next person, or we're not like those people, and yet Jonah shows us that God, he, he, like us, we're a work in progress, and God, we're thankful that you're patient with us, and that your love and grace nudge us along, and you stay with it, and you, you're kind, and you're merciful. Oh God, thank you for revealing our sins. May we see it, and may we name it fully for what it is. That is turning from you, failure to trust you, may we repent. Not to be pulled away from you, but to be drawn into your heart, the goodness and the grace of you. 
the Holy One who loves us. Oh God, we pray that. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.